Welcome to the Salted Podcast, where we are translating and transforming our view of politics, pop culture, and personal preference. In this episode, we discuss tribalism. Does it seem like we're getting more divided or unified? And how does tribalism contribute to the divisive culture we experience? Let's get salted. Hey, welcome to the Salted Podcast. This is Yon. I'm Dan. And this is an important episode. This is an important episode because we're talking about a very important topic in, I guess, the world, but mostly in our cultural perspective, and that is the idea of tribalism. And maybe you maybe are just walking around the world looking and saying, hey, are we getting more divided or more unified? And if you're like me, I would say probably more divided. And we're going to take a look at why that's happening and how the gospel provides a remedy for rampant, unhealthy, destructive tribalism in our interpersonal interactions. Yeah, and I can't even imagine, you know, that anybody is looking at our modern culture and trying to um, trying to assess how unified we are. Right? Yeah, I do. I actually ask that question to a lot of people when I teach Roots Tracks. Do we, are we getting more divided or more unified? And they're always... No more divided. Of course, yeah. it's like no one would even consider that there's that we're on a pathway to unifying around anything. Right. So if you feel that tension, um, we're with you, and lots of people do as well, and that's why we're talking about this. And then um, we're recording this in the fall, so things are kind of back to schoolish when you're when this is coming out. So we're gonna our personal preferences. We're gonna talk about what was our favorite um, school phase. Phase, I guess. Yeah, elementary, high school, or college. Oh, what about junior high? Junior high, okay. Should that be on a list of was that your favorite? Because that even that's not even reasonable. Yeah, I know that we can put that in there. Yeah, and we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe if you like junior high, then stick around, and maybe we will select junior high as your personal maybe. preference favorite. Um, so we're talking about tribalism, and you may have heard that term, you may not have heard that term, but if you are looking to need the world is more divided than unified. Um, tribalism has been described in my research. I, I, someone had this quote, and so this is a pretty, pretty um, pivotal quote to think of when we think of tribalism. They said, to truly understand today's world and where it is heading, one must acknowledge the power of tribalism. Failing to do so will only make it stronger. So if you're looking for a way to, obviously you're looking for a way to understand today's world, that's why you listen to us. Yeah. And um, understanding tribalism is critical. And it doesn't, I don't think tribalism shows itself as a obvious symptom, Yon. So I think some of what is destroying our culture, destroying our families and our churches is, it's inconspicuous. It's like, it's the, um, it's the little, uh, what do they say? Little foxes, right? That are sneaking away, uh, eating up the, the garden, uh, in the, in the nighttime. And I think that for sure it's what, what's taking things from us that we, feel and we feel like we're being injured by is uh, can be directly connected to this idea of tribalism yeah and we're going to look at the un, like we always do there's an, right there are the things that happen which is like you said like we're looking around the world and when there's things that happen we're more divided than ever um, and there's lots of things that divide us but underlying all that is the idea of tribalism and this is kind of like the the driving yeah. worldview and the driving philosophy of why these things are showing up, and so yeah, yeah. If we just yeah, try well, to deal with the symptom, we're in trouble. We got to deal with the cause. That's such a great word used. It's what's driving it. Because when I look at things, I'm always quick. To, I'm always very instinctively. I'm thinking, why is this happening? Um, and when I think about tribalism, and as I understand it, like we'll kind of get into today, 
the more I understand tribalism, the more I understand what's happening in our world and why it's happening. And it's been yep. so helpful to us. Yep. So what is tribalism? So here's a here's a definition. I think maybe from the get-go, you may instinctively, I'd be curious, um, ask yourself a question. When you hear the word tribalism, do you have a net ne- negative connotation to it or a positive or a neutral out of curiosity when you first when you hear I it? I instinctively think of um, very backwards. Uh, is third world country a thing you can say now? You, oh, yeah. Third world developing countries. Develop, I'm sure, yeah. But I'm thinking more of like terrorist states. Sure, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think sure, of yeah. warlords, and I think of warlords that are among tribes that are clashing with each other. So when I hear tribalism... I instantly think of back, backwards, um, uh, dictatorial, ruthless uh, type of um, type of yeah, clashes. That's, yeah. that's a good. And ironically, as we're talking about this, is that um, when I when you know, when you think of tribes, yeah, I do the same thing. I kind of think of that, and then era a bygone era where people are are literally arranged in tribes yeah. and are nomadic or something like that, or. Um, and it's you know there's some sort of feudal system involved, but right. it's like it's a hearkening back to like this ancient dark, time, dark ages, dark ages type of a time. And 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 so the irony is is that um, we're describing we're so far advanced in our modern um, our modern world that now we're using old, right. very old, ancient terms yeah. to describe the situation. To describe in. behaviors that are have been around right. from the beginning. Right. And so tribalism is uh, from the get go. Tribalism is neither positive or negative just from the just from the identifying the definition of it okay so but we'll talk about some of the the healthy ways in which tribalism shows up and some of the more unhealthy ways which is why we are so divided and so tribalism um, by definition is a loyalty or a preference to one's own people people being broadly general however you define that yeah Um, as well as culture it can apply to politics and sport and recreation and all sorts of different things yeah and tribes, to be in a tribe, tribes demand loyalty, and in return, they confer security and belonging. So these are some critical things. What does a tribe do? They demand loyalty, and in return, they confer security and belonging. So mm. uh, another word is protection, right? Okay. Protection and identity. So if I'm in a tribe, uh, in order to be in that tribe, I have to be loyal, right? Right. That's the demand. And in return for my loyalty, I feel safe. And I feel like um, I'm a part of something. That's right. Yep. And so you're, so underline that as an as idea of trust, right? So you mm-hmm. you trust people and you build a level of trust with people, um, and you get that security and the protection that belonging. And that essentially, the, it's a badge of identity. Yeah. Is that the gang idea? You own? Yeah. It's very similar to a yeah. If you are in the if you're in the you perceive the gang culture, it's like you don't. You, we just talked about this because we took a mission trip to Northern Ireland, right? We talked about the Protestants and Catholics. You can't really walk around in Northern Ireland. And maybe be neutral right. in some of those places. You got to either join one or the other. And so you're like, okay, well, I'm joining because my family heritage is this one. I'm joining this one for protection, my identity, and I'm loyal to them. Um, same thing with gang culture, right? And so, that explains, I think, in the gang culture, when you look from the outside and you say, how could this type of behavior go on? How yeah. how does someone in a gang not ever say, I don't want to be in a gang and risk my life and get killed over nothing? Right. But yep. what they're getting in return is a sense of protection, and they're feeling a part of something they belong to a little family where the alternative is worse, right, which yeah. is you're completely on your own, isolated and at risk of getting um, caught in the, yep. uh, without any kind of protection, yep. it seems. And so we would, and again, we are, we would, we usually pull ideas, examples like that, but we're going to look at, and we say all of us are tribal to some degree. Um, and the question is, how, when does it become, 
when is it transition from a healthy tribalism where we're associating around things and when does it become unhealthy? Mm -hmm. So um, if you go a little bit deeper underneath the the umbrella of tribalism, there's uh, there's some terminology around cultural tribalism, which is not necessarily around like your um, you, you, how you define your people, but it's a subdivision of society. So you are loyal and connected to a subdivision of society and groups that come together by a shared specific type of thinking or behavior. Right. So it's either the way you think or the way you behave. Um, and so you, we can probably see lots of examples of this. I mean, we could probably name dozens and dozens of examples of what a a tribe that shows up that, again, neither negative nor positive, but a group of people that you are um, coming together with, having a shared specific type of thinking or behavior that provides that there's levels of trust. You probably have a sense of belonging in those. Yeah. Um, and they're probably, they're, they are, they are, our culture is littered with them, littered with them. And, and that's true for the church too. Yeah. Inside the church family, all yeah. kinds of tribes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we have, we can't sit in judgment of anybody who's divided along tribal lines. We are, we have Catholics and Protestants to great schism. Then you've right. got the, all the variations of Protestantism, and yep. that's a big question for a lot of people outside of the church. Um, and so, yeah, so Christians are tribal. Everyone is tribal. The answer is, if, if you're sitting there listening, thinking, "Am I tribal? Am I a tribalist?" Yeah, everyone is tribal. And, and here's a couple of. Even in the even if you're like two categories, if you're an evolutionist, like if you're an evolutionist, they would describe tribalism as part of human nature, and oh, that okay. as you evolved and man started to get more domesticated, you had to they had to arrange themselves in communities and tribes for mutual protection against animals and other tribes, and so right on, yeah. um, through the evolution of 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 humanity, tribalism is is innate. Christians, we would even say that we are made for community, and so we are we coalesce. Um, we are reflective of God's nature. Yeah. Um, we are made for community, so we are tribal in that we want to associate with other people that we trust and we have same shared beliefs and values with. Right, which is based on how God created us. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter what your underlying worldview is. Most of us would we are tribalists in uh, we 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 want to associate in in tribes. Um, societally, we can see this, right? I mean, again, like I just mentioned, tribes and primitive societies, like you said, you just, when you hear the word tribe, I think of like, you know, I think of like, um, I grew up in Canada, we're on the plains. I think of like my, my junior high project of the, of the native American or native Americans, native Canadians in, you know, a first nation people and they travel around and their tribe and they're, they're battling other tribes, hunting Buffalo. Like that's what I think of. But as we through these, there's primitive societies as we, as we evolved, Societally, then there's stuff like feudalism, where you know there's like lords and knights and stuff, but that's a mutual commitment where they say we are going to mutually commit to each other for our own protection and our own um, prosperity. Um, and even our American um, governance. I mean, Thomas Paine is, has a famous line of saying that um, government, government, government is a necessary evil. And his whole point was that gov people conflate society, which is a good thing, where people coalesce around the things that they love and they are for, and government is punitive, and that, that people, co if you coalesce around government stuff, that's more of the things that you are against. Um, Interesting. So, so even, our, um, even our founding fathers talked about tribalism in terms of how you associate with one another societally. Um, so we are all tribalists, so we can't sit in judgment with anybody when you hear about it and say, oh, you people are so tribal or so, I mean, how, could, how, how dare I mean, they do that? Ultimate, we all do that. Ultimate experience of tribalism has got to be, I mean, if you went to college and you had the sorority and sure. fraternity yep. system, right? Or in my college, we had a, uh, basically whatever floor you were on, yeah. you, were, you had a name. Yeah. And then weirdly, I get out into the church youth ministry world and every youth group's got to have a name. Totally. And within that group, there are different 
clubs or I guess more focuses where you have this group has a name and this group has a name and it's so fascinating we actually got to the point in youth ministry where we were naming our junior high tribe and our senior high tribe right. which had a different name than the youth group tribe right. <laughs> right. which belonged to a church with a completely different name right yeah right so yeah. we had tribe within tribes yeah yeah uh, and that's true and that's what they say i mean that the healthy tribalism which is if we start with the healthy positive it's all throughout our civil society and it's they're usually kind of benign and that they're not they're like they're not really good or bad and they overlap in all sorts of different ways. Like you mentioned a couple, right? But we have we have neighborhoods and communities. People align yeah. in that. And even have neighborhood watch, you know, um, ethnic, social identities. And there's rituals that go along with that. Um, fellow enthusiasts of different things, right? If you are an enthusiast of the New York football giants, then you're going to coalesce around them if you are. It's or, disgusting that you are my podcast pal for life and then use that football team as a reference. Well, it's a, it's absolutely. I'm cool. not even a. It's unforgivable fan, I know, that yeah. you didn't think you think so little of me or thought of me so little that you yeah. wouldn't even use my own team. Yeah, well, but the problem with the it's Cowboys disgusting. is that everybody's in the Cowboy tribe. Are they, they Well, they were are they? because they were so popular. And yeah. like, there's no, but not not everybody's in the Giants camp. Probably no, here no, only. Yeah, yeah. Um, like stuff like bros. Even like yeah. names we give ourselves like we're bros or right. you're, we're nerds. Like if you, I mean, yeah, Packer fans. Facebook groups, um, and then ultimately the most important one is like this Uber tribe, and that's like nation states, mega tribes that um, that unite countries, which we share we share national rituals. You know, we all celebrate the, the uh, Independence Day symbols, so stars and stripes and eagles, music, you know, national anthem, history, mythology, events. Um, that forms this kind of core unit of belonging that makes us a national democracy and, and so when we think when we think when we elevate it to the healthy way in which tribalism shows up we see healthy national identities strong senses of patriotism and um that are really celebrated yeah essentially you're it's a picture of what we see at the world cup right. tournament right yeah no one would look at that and say oh that's unhealthy levels of of tribalism obviously right. you want the other team to fail because you want your team to succeed that's that's all well and good. So, but this does get problematic, right? Tribalism can create tensions with other tribes, and I think this is the the the, the um the pain points that we are all feeling. Um, so, if you're in a group of people with similar similar values, lifestyles, and languages, we have a tendency to favor our own tribe above other people's tribes. Um, there's a sense of because we place our identity there and there's a level of protection, we would say our tribe is more important than other people's tribes. And so we would um, any actions, any self-sacrificial actions, we would prioritize sacrificing for my own tribe as opposed to any other tribe. Right. Um, and our loyalty to the social group is above everything. And derogatory, uh, conversely, I should say, there's a type of discrimination or animosity based on group differences. So it's not just coalescing around the things that I'm for. We then coalesce around the the ways in which the a group is different and the things that we are against in right. the other and tribe. Right, and the reason why there's so much vitriol among the tribes, the willingness that someone has to express such vitriol has to do with what someone feels like they're going to lose if they don't yeah. express that vitriol, yep. Yep. or what they believe to be is the intensity in that is needed to protect themselves from being damaged or lost or hurt or you know something taken from them whether it's their values or so on and that's why these tribes clash and then ultimately these tribes end up in violent uh, struggle because they're fighting for what they believe to be is the 
most valuable aspects of their life. Yep, exactly. And so, um, and so, but uh, uniquely, we can we see the we see the results of that. We see tribes warring with each other and a lack of trust. But w- really, why does that occur? Um, how do you get from unhealth or from a healthy tribalism to unhealthy tribalism? And um, there were some observations made that says really what happens between groups is often a symbol and a reinforcer of unhealthy patterns that are um, symptoms of self unhealth within the tribe. Mm. So it's not necessarily just two tribes going at each other. It is there's a level of unhealth within the tribe gotcha. that 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 permits and promotes this tribalism that gets to unhealthy. Sure. Um, and these include such things like um, suppression suppression of dissenting voices. Right, mm-hmm. so if there's a someone who has a different opinion, then they show up and they're like, "Hey, no, no, no! What if we did it this way?" Um, they are not allowed to be vocal. They are suppressed because they were they would upset the status quo yeah. of their tribe. Um, the second one is a, a bit of a cult mentality in which members seek only to affirm one another's worldview. Mm. So there can be no again no dissenting, but you know, especially if there's a hierarchy, we only affirm the leadership and only affirm the people in authority. Um, and the last one is is probably. Um, a critical, the, one of the more critical ones is that there's a pervasive suspicion about the motives of anyone outside of one's tribe, regardless of how true the ideas are. Right. So it doesn't matter if I, if you're not in my tribe, and that you say something that's true, and I know it's true. Even the fact that you said something true, my suspicion is, what's your motivation? Like, right. I don't trust that you have my best interest in mind and my tribe's interest in mind, so I'm not even going to accept that true statement yes. or true information. So that explains a lot of why we're dealing with what we're seeing uh, in our culture here in our country, you know, right? Because there is, like, like there's the be- the biggest treatment, the most common treatment is that we just need to dialogue and understand each other, right? right. If we yeah. just had a dialogue and we listened to each other, we could really understand each other. Right. But what you're saying is the reason why there's so much division, one of the reasons, is because in this tribal approach, even when you say something I like or agree with, I have a deep tribal suspicion mm-hmm. that your motives can't be trusted. Yep, yeah. So it makes, even though you're hearing what you want to hear, you don't trust it comes from the right place. Yep. So if you put it in the political context, which lots of us, lots of us do, if you're sitting on one side of the political aisle and another, the other person in the other party says, "We're going to come together and we're going to build a, we're going to have a joint bill," and it mm. and it says some of the stuff they're promoting, some of the stuff that your side of the aisle likes. Yep. The initial response is not, "Hooray, we've got a mutual yeah. agreement." It's what angle? What's, yeah. What's their end game? What's going on here? Yeah. Like I know that on the in the on the on the whole, we don't really agree on where yep. we should go. So why are you doing this? And I need to protect myself from being manipulated by these people. Right. Exactly. And yep. so I'm not going to throw my lot in with them because then my own tribe is going to be like, "Wait, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to yeah. lose my credibility." And so the the pursuit of the end state is not worth the yeah. letting go a little bit of trust with a person who does something. Totally get that. Yep. So. Why is this a problem? Now we've just we've already talked about this as a massive problem because, um, you know, we see it every single day. Um, and the more important thing is tribalism is not this. It's it's not static, right? It the 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 author of this article wrote, says it feeds on itself that we reference. It feeds on itself and it never it never it's insatiable. It never ends, never never ceases. And so, um, and one of the worst things is that it it appeals to this gut level 
or if you're in the social media world, like the brainstem, right? Yeah. It evokes the, the, the brainstem emotions wow. that are not easily controlled and usually spiral towards real conflict. So it gets the base stem kind of agitated and suddenly it's like, okay, I'm going to, I got to defend myself. I got to fight for life. And it agitates us and spirals us towards real conflict. Um, and there's a whole bunch of things in which, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that contribute to this, that contribute to being more divided and more tribal. And there's globalization, right? I mean, like when you, when right. you, when you are a globalized society, suddenly your national identity is in peril potentially. Yeah. And so yep. there's, there's tribalism. Um, all the great things about being a national, having a national identity are being, um, trying to be pulled apart. Well, how about the, how about the fact that the conservatives have come up with a new insult, which is to call someone a globalist. Right. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Yep, the or even the whole there's a whole you know the 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 America First um, campaign even yeah. Brexit is a great example of that and if you follow any of that but um, they they left the European Union because they didn't want to be represented by um, European uh, leaders who are not actually British um, secularization so the more secular we get the less we identify around larger mm. you know ob- quote unquote objective truths around religion and stuff like that. Um, media polarization. So again, the media industrial complex, which is entire job, is just to get clicks and engagement. And again, if you're, we've talked about this in our social media one, um, even the artificial intelligence one is right. a, appealing to the base, to the brainstem, to the base level, um, and they do that with ruthless efficiency in building tribalism, which is why there's there's like the conservative news stations, and there's the liberal, and then right. there's the ultra liberal, and there's all these different places we get your quote unquote news. Yeah, because think of, about yeah. what's happening in the conservative media channels now. They're yeah. they're calling for you to tribal up within your tribe because you don't agree with that particular yep. news source anymore, yep. right? So like within the tribe, you're being uh, basically rage baited to join fragmented tribes within the tribe. It's yep. fascinating. Yep. I mean, even if you just look at the way Tucker Carlson the first Republican primary debate, he had a interview with Donald Trump the exact same time. Yeah. And Fox news didn't let anybody use more than three minutes of their debate coverage. And you're like, you're like, okay, so even that movement, that political movement, the Republican side is so divided now that they have these tribal wars of who wants to follow someone on Twitter or or X and who wants to watch the network. It's, it's, you know, it's a fascinating, um, and this, um, ultimately we can kind of get to, how do you fix this? Because we're we're really far down the we're really far down this road yeah. of tribalism and and the, something called the rhetorical right. So this author says the rhetorical extremes have already been pushed further than most of us thought, which just simply means the rhetoric right. right? When uh, again, if you were to think, if you were to ask, if you were to ask what someone thinks about the other side on a political conversation, you're in the we're in the re- the rhetoric of their evil. Yeah. Um, they are fascists, right? They're dictators. And it's, it's gone so far to like, how much worse can you get? You, there's not very much to the left or right of those words nope. where you can say, uh, it's, it gets worse, right? You're saying everyone who disagrees with you is Hitler or everyone who disagrees with you is a racist or whatever it is. So we've gone so far down that the rival camps are, we're so hermetically sealed yeah. in our own little echo chambers that there's very there's not a lot of hope as to how we come back from exactly. this. Exactly, and, and what you're saying kind of provokes some thoughts in me re- related to uh, if you if you categorize the other tribe as evil, then you don't have political discourse yeah. where you're exchanging ideas, right. right? You don't have equal ideas because your ideas are good and all their ideas are evil they have right. to be they have to be evil or or you can't consider their ideas in other words 
the political discourse ends. There's no policy making. You can't right. govern with these people because what they're proposing is coming from an evil place. Right. Yep. Right. So even their ideas you have to reject. Even this dialogue you have to reject. You can't have any understanding because why would you take time to try to understand an evil person? Right. Yep. Right. And that's, and that's the, pretty much where we're at in this rhetorical extreme. Right. And it, and it, I think it's at the point where it's not even can I not have a conversation or understand. Can I even coexist with them? Right. Am I am I morally obligated to do something about them? Because yeah. if you call someone a fascist, no one would sit around today and say, well, you know, the Nazis, now that now that I know who they were, I wouldn't do anything about right. them. I would just let them, exactly. I'd, I'd let them have freedom of speech. It, it, it gets to the point where we, we can no longer coexist. And that's why people start talking about a national divorce. It's like the balkanization where it's like, you're not just tribal, but you are literally on the verge. Can you coexist with one another in a nation state or does it require literally a national divorce where the, the, the country separates? Literally. So, and that's, yeah. it actually reminds me uh, quite a bit. Uh, it may have just slipped my mind, though. The balkanization, right? You're saying uh, it's divided. Yeah, I just it just slipped my mind. All right. Um, so that's where we're at. So why should we care about it? Because as Christians, we are looking for things that unify us, right? Is, if we're going to... What is it that, that unifies people? And what is it... What's the core central um, identity that we walk around with? And where do we... Where do we... Where do we as Christians say our identity, our security... And our um, our protection is found in this, and we unify around the gospel and the good news of Jesus and our identity in Christ, as opposed to all these other opportunities to to identify. Right, right, exactly. So if we don't, and this is what I'm concerned about, and this is why I'm so um, kind of amped up that we're doing a podcast episode about this, Yon, because if we don't absorb this, then we are unable. Basically, we don't even have the capacity to salt the earth, and that is what our uh, role in the world is essentially is to salt the earth it's to bring some flavor and some uniqueness to preserve the truth and um, that requires a different approach right which obviously. is interesting it's because you meant at the beginning we mentioned if you don't understand tribalism the quote is you don't understand the world and now you're saying if you don't understand tribalism we don't even understand how to salt the earth in any way relevant for them. Yeah, because I think if we can't identify the bait, we take the bait, hmm. right? So I think if we can't identify, ooh, that's a counterfeit worldview, we end up swallowing the worldview, hmm. right? So, uh, and I really like what Truth Over Tribe is saying about this. Uh, there's a book, a uh, couple, um, couple of Christian leaders that are really, really turning up the temperature in terms of understanding a, the ability to abandon a tribe in order to embrace the truth right. and that by abandoning your tribe, you're not abandoning the truth. Right. And uh, essentially what they say in their book is that God is calling you Christians who belong to Jesus to build his kingdom. He's not calling you to build the kingdom of the donkey or the kingdom of the elephant, which such a great word picture for sure. Um, but as culture warriors kind of divide the world into us versus them, we see what's happening. It's fracturing families. And we've seen this in the church, even families that have come apart lifelong family friends who belong to each other in the church who are at odds with each other over the particular tribes that they're picking and choosing and the fracturing of friendships. Uh, but most of us along for an end to all this constant fighting. Now that's what truth over, over tribe is offering. And that's how they're kind of characterizing their work. Right. Um, does a practical path exist? If you want to see that, if you want to see the reduction of constant fighting and if you want to see, 
the world stop getting fractured, especially your loved ones, your family, and your church? The answer is yes, and it's the truth tribe or the truth path. It's not the uh, donkey or the what is it or the elephant. And we should do we need to if you're not a political. Wonk, wonk, like yeah. lots of people. The donkey is the mascot for the Democratic Party, and the elephant is the mascot for the Republican Party. Right. So, yeah. So we're, um, just, we're not just picking random of weird course. animals. Yeah. So, yeah. And don't forget, Jesus. I mean, Jesus isn't disconnected from what we're facing now. I think it's possible that he lived in a culture that was more split by tribalism, the Middle Eastern culture of tribalism, but he, of course, resisted all of the allure and all of the bait that's out there by focusing on something bigger. He focused on the truth. So he's now inviting us, right, to apply this kind of ancient path to the modern culture war. How would your life in church change if you became a catalyst for unity rather than a catalyst for causes, policies, politicians, Positions. Ooh, I got another one. And platforms. Ooh, that's why you're a pastor. Yeah. Boom. I just get those alliterations. It, just, it right. just hit me. It just hit me. You can't say them again, can you? Yes, I can. Oh, but I won't. <laughs> of course, I won't. Um. So how would how would everything change if we just said, all right, right at the beginning, I'm going to look for and reject tribalism, and because our tribes don't just come with things that they are for, they also come with things they are against, right? Namely, get this, and this is what makes tribalism so tribal. I'm not just for what I'm for. I'm against what I'm against, but especially I'm against whatever the other side is for. Right. And that's what makes this so difficult and so challenging. Um, if your tribe is for it, then my tribe is against it. Mm-hmm. Even, and this is the trouble, even if it's true, yeah. even if it's better, yeah. even if it's more biblical. And that's really kind of the poison in tribalism. And studies show that people will switch their position on an issue depending on whether they're told that it's supported by Democrats or Republicans. I mean, how many times have you seen, have you told me about a few of them where they're interviewing people yeah, on the street, the right? The word on the street where yeah. you, you interview, like, what do you think of uh, Barack Obama's policies on this, this? And they're like, I, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. It's like, wait, those are what are the, those are Donald Trump policies. And they're like, oh, I love it. Yeah, they're Donald I Trump fans. It. Or they say, here's, what do you think of Barack Obama's policies on this? And they're like, I love it. I love it. I love it. No, no, those are Donald Trump policies. Yeah, like, oh, I hate you. It doesn't. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. Once they find, they love the ideas, but once See, they find out who did it, it's a. It's, it's just. It's incredible. Yep. It doesn't matter what side does it. They no. both of them are exactly, them. exactly. And that's what um, truth over tribe. Uh, these guys are are pointing out is that, and actually, I came across something too that that was disturbing, and that was a poll where Democrat voters turned out they responded that they were overwhelmingly against gender affirmation surgery for minors mm. right mm-hmm. but they also indicated they would not vote against it because the republicans are voting against it right and that's what i'm talking about i mean and, and both sides do it mm-hmm. right yeah. so so in other words something's true but i can't support it because the other the other side supports it yep and it's, i think so i've got to stay in my tribe yep Yep. And that's either rooted in deep ignorance, like a lot of these men on the street interviews, they're telling them, what do you think about this policy? And they, you know, you can tell by the look on their face, 
they don't have any idea what that policy is about. Right. But they, so it's either really deep ignorance or it's, or it's maybe on the other end, like they really understand the issue and they're like, well, I can't, I don't trust the other side's motives. I don't understand the big, I don't trust their big picture. Yes. Even though I agree with this little policy and you, you start a- ask the question, well, why are they for it? Exactly. We are, what's their, what's going on here? What's yep. their motive here? What's the end state? Which is the, which is probably a lot of the, so they I think people are either really ignorant of ideas or they're really bought in to their um, philosophies and they start questioning motives. So Yeah, it's exactly. It made me think about for just the, the people who have come to a position on one particular issue, right? And then they find out the other side supports it, like you said, and that their side doesn't. And all of a sudden, like, well, I think I'm switching my position because I'm going to. Yeah. I'm going to move to the, I'm going to make sure I'm in my tribe where, as you said earlier, where I feel protected, um, right. because I'm comfortable and I don't, I don't have to be suspicious of the tribe's motives. Right. I mean, I mean, if I'm sitting here, I'm honest, I do that. I do that. Like I sometimes, I sometimes like, not to the point where I'm like super, super cynical and like completely out and out change my opinion. Like what? Do you have an example? I don't know. Well, if I'm, if I, if I read something, um, and let's say it's from a, a, maybe a, um, really popular big proponent of atheism who might be an anti-theist or an anti-Christian okay. person and they say something that's like true you're like yeah that's that might be true but like why are you saying that like oh, and so okay. it's not it's not I like a, I'm gonna I'm gonna be immediately against it because you're on the other side but you. you know the the motivation question I think is a, is a real thing of saying well what's what exactly is going on here now well, you can go down that fork in the road of being a healthy approach to that and saying okay well maybe the, what they're saying is true and it has impacts on my um, worldview, or you can go down and say, "I'm going to completely reject it out of hand, regardless how true it is." So, I mean, I think it's it's maybe natural to a certain degree. It depends on the moment, the fork in the road decision of how far you go down the, right. how toxic is your tribalism, where you immediately yes. reject it, as opposed to, well, I've got some questions. Right. So. Speaking of toxic tribalism, it's not even what we're saying; it's worse because not only does someone either change their view because uh, their tribe believes differently. Or not only does somebody believe, uh, resist the truth because the other tribe is owning it, but they also attack the other right, tribe, yeah. right? Rather yeah. than rather than say, you know, um, mm-hmm. they they're actually this is something that's true and they're actually, evil. yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Justin Gibbonoy, who is the one of the Truth Over Tribe guys, he calls this whole topic that we're talking about oppositional politics. And uh, he proposes that it's destroying, completely destroying our mm. political system. Instead of making smart choices based on our values, we strive to keep the other side from winning. Yeah, That's the goal. Don't let the other side win. I mean, if there's anything, in essence, what else is more political than doing anything and everything, even if it means distorting the truth, to keep the other side from winning? I mean... Yep. That's why there's gridlock. That's one of the reasons why there's gridlock in our governing system. But right. you can't give any credit to the opposition anyway. No. You can't say, "Oh, they're doing something well," because yep. you're like, "Well, I don't trust what they're going to even do with that." With my soundbite of how yep. great they're doing, they're going to go say, "Hey, look at this person. Look at they even they're yeah. the opposite side. Even they think we're doing or great." Or even worse, getting getting drubbed, getting stoned by your own tribal leaders yep. for uh, mentioning that somebody in the other tribe did something mm-hmm. right. Right. Even if it means ignoring or distorting the truth, yep. that's what you've got to do. So, and it reminds me of two of Jesus's disciples who were members of very different political parties. And this is actually portrayed quite well in the Chosen, the the series um, that is um, that is in sweeping the world right, sweeping now. the world, and just wrapped up season four. So, to give you an idea, when we're recording this, and the t- and here they are. Matthew is a tax collector. 
And he has sold out the Hebrew people by helping Rome oppress them by unfairly and and in uh, without equity op- being op- uh, collecting taxes from them, right? Mm-hmm. Then you've got Simon the Zealot, who's mm-hmm. also a part of Jesus's disciple group, and he is a part of a party that wanted to violently overthrow Roman rule. So here he has Matthew submitted to and being a, basically a tool for the Romans and Simon the Zealot who wants to overthrow the Roman rule, uh, overthrow it. So uh, Jesus, of course, has now got to navigate this, and he focuses on the truth. They both were following Jesus in unity, building a new kingdom around the truth of their new king, and somehow that held them together. Somehow that allowed them to escape and overcome their own tribalism. Um, I mean, oppositional politics isn't new if... It makes me wonder if Simon found out that Rome was for something, was he automatically against it? And um, again, Jesus frees us from oppositional politics by inviting us into his new tribe. And his tribe is a worldwide community, and it's based on our need for grace. So that's what keeps everybody together. We're on level playing field. We're all at the foot of the cross, basically, no matter what party you're in. If you're a human being, you have this. You, you share this major thing in common, and that is that uh, apart from God's grace, we really don't have any hope or chance. Mm. Not gathered around and, and unified around having the right politics, and then obviously we're all uh, we're all in unity because we belong to Jesus and we adopt his his mission, the mission of making disciples. I actually also like a lot about this topic that's said by Patrick Miller. Patrick Miller is a pastor at the crossing and he posted a pretty um, compelling argument he suggested that if you really want to know what Jesus thinks about politics and and about a particular tribe you really just have to study the Sermon on the Mount because it kind of functions as a constitution of Christianity Hmm. Uh, and he points out that Jesus's sermon lacks some key aspects that you would expect to see in a constitution right so if Jesus is going to say here's my constitution it's the Sermon on the Mount here's what you don't find you don't find laws and you don't find principles of governance. Mm-hmm. So Patrick Miller asked this question. He says, why doesn't it include these pieces? Why doesn't Jesus lay down governance, principles, and laws? And he actually, he says there's a few reasons. I'll, I'll be really brief with these. Number one, Jesus' plan was to reach people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, not to establish his own nation. Mm-hmm. Secondly, yeah. the gospel at its core is that Jesus is king and that Caesar, along with every other worldly power, is not. And number three, Jesus is ambivalent about state power. There's some great examples of Jesus being tried by the state and he doesn't really pick a side or he doesn't look for the support or power to back him coming from one particular part of the state or another. Uh, Though he sometimes critiques leaders, his main teaching on the state was pay your taxes. Which is very inconvenient. It really is. (laughs) It is. It is. Now, you talk about Why couldn't you say anything other than that? I know. It compels me to distort that truth. Yeah, uh, I know. And, uh, is that gross or net, Jesus? What are you talking about? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jesus supported paying taxes. Yeah. Oh, man. That doesn't help my tribe at all. Um, and then, of course, Jesus is saying that so that he can. This is actually what he says. Pay your taxes so you can keep on mission. You can stay yeah. on mission. Focus on mission. And then Paul comes along in the New Testament and says, in fact, I'm going to go a step further. Don't just pay your taxes pray for your government officials that it'll Mm. go well for them and that it'll go well for their family so that you can make peace with them and the mission can continue on again they they both essentially say don't get entangled in the political tribes Mm -hmm. that's how i perceive that yeah 
don't get entangled in the political tribes and the Sermon on the Mount says here's what my tribe looks like here's how my tribe functions yeah and lastly number four he says in the upside-down economy of Jesus power is expressed through self-sacrifice well which of the tribes the elephant or the donkey mm. which of those tribes is advocating self-sacrifice which, which one of them are pretending to advocate exactly oh. exactly so yeah. uh, he said those are the reasons that that's what you'll find in the Sermon on the Mount yeah. uh, as it relates to the Constitution of Christianity so again that was work by Patrick Miller and, and yeah, um, it's a good way to think about the Sermon on the Mount of you know being a constitutional thing was everyone points to the US Constitution and says that's the things that unifies us or it should unify us to Bill of Rights and stuff and so um why not look at the Sermon on the Mount? That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, and it that Sermon on the Mount Constitution is less about setting up a new state and more about setting right. up a counterculture of love and self-sacrifice. So we have to be very, very tentative to allow ourselves to belong to a tribe whose primary objective is to build a nation. Mm. As much as you and I are patriots, that's a real trap right? because I want my nation to survive and I not just survive I want it to thrive I believe it's special I believe that God has given unique um, attributes to our country that allow the freedom of the gospel to be advanced throughout the world so I certainly believe in uh, protecting and preserving um, our constitution and what makes our country exceptional however the main tribe I belong to isn't red or blue right my main tribe is Jesus's tribe. He wasn't partisan. He wasn't power hungry. He's not authoritarian. Uh, instead, he honors the the rights of people as individuals. He calls his followers to persuade other people. And if they consent to be governed by Jesus, then they're invited in to form communities right where they are that are governed by Jesus, not governed by the state or the right. nation. So that's all Patrick Miller's work. I appreciate that post. Um, uh, the pastor of the crossing. Um but I really think if I could put it in my own words, what Jesus wanted them to learn, what he wants all of us to kind of take in, if you're thinking about salting the earth, is that when we follow him, we have something just as important as winning a political argument. And that is our witness, our reputation, our sense of identity that we belong to Jesus. We shine brightly in a dark culture and our witness as we're advocating for our most cherished and weighty mor moral policies, the policies like abortion, which we advocate against, and, and um, the care and love and, and, and um, compassion for refugees and the impact and, and resolution of poverty and, and uh, restorative social justice and so on, right? As we're advocating for these very, very cherished and weighty policies, when our, we, of course, are doing so not primarily to win, but primarily to protect and advance the reputation of Jesus, which we would call our witness, right? right? Mm -hmm. And when our witness is more important than winning, here's a few things we do. We search for common ground or we search for good intentions. I think mm -hmm. if we look for good intentions that are coming from the other tribe, then we find ways that we can work together for the common good. Right. Which I, would mean yeah. that every time I hear from the other tribe, I'm not automatically, quickly assuming that they have evil intentions. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's even the definition of charity, where we think of the word charity, which is I give money to a charity, but, you know, to be charitable, and we talk about that here, is yeah. like, how can we have a charitable opinion of people? Um, and that's just to start with, 
okay, let's assume that there's some level of positive intent, a charitable that they are trying to solve some of these problems, that they're not evil. And that if you just start there, that like you said, it's a, it's a radically different way to look at things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when our witness is more important than winning, we seek the truth, not mm-hmm. just a winning argument, not just to find out, well, who's saying this, right? right? And I think, um, I mean, did we kind of stumble into this idea when we were reviewing the, the feedback we've gotten on the Barbie episode was a little bit of shock and surprise from people, as they've told us. I thought that you guys were going to say the exact same thing that the tri- that the right that the cons- Christian conservative right tribe said. Right. And they were a little surprised to hear us say, well, we found some things in it that were truthful that right. may not represent our tribe, but that were true nonetheless. And so if we seek the truth rather yeah. than just to win an argument, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. We reject dismiss- dismissing or diminishing someone just because they sound like the other tribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, what we're saying is if we're seeking the truth and we're more important, more concerned about our witness than winning, here's what we're asking ourselves. Are they saying something true? Mm. Is this true? And how much should I care who's saying the truth? If it's true, it's true. Right. Yeah. And that means I reject categorizing people as evil. I think there's some theological roots that I can um, really take confidence in here, Yon, when I'm saying that one of the one of the issues that we're having in our culture, especially in the in the Christian church, too, is assigning someone's when someone has a position, political position or a moral position that I kind of categorize the person who holds those views as evil right. rather than those views. Yeah. And from my theological perspective, everybody has equal dignity, value, and worth because they're a human being. God created them. He loves them. He wants to save them. He's pursuing them. He cares about them. They may not belong to his family, but I believe that he's created them in his image, right. and he loves them. So the idea that I would say, hey, I don't like your position. I don't like your policy. I don't like the view that you've got on this particular topic, say abortion or whatever, so I so I can categorize you as evil. Right. Maybe you're being used yeah. for evil. Maybe your view is evil, that particular position. But I don't think we're going to get very far in our culture and in our churches if we think people who hold one view are evil and my particular tribe is good, essentially. Right. There's a lot of rhetorical devices that happen. I think we talked about this earlier. It's the rhetoric around all these things and the, the people have opposing ideas is it's it's as far as it can go almost like when you're using words like fascist yes. or you're Nazi they, Nazis. It's a jeer is a genocide happening against people. Yep. You know, these are all terms. This is not an uncommon thing that happens in war too, is that you have to, you know, it, it, this is an interesting aside that one of my jobs as a, as a leader in a combat unit is to help my Marines rationalize what they're doing. Mm. So you say, okay, we well, got to do some pretty terrible things, but the goal you're trying to say, well, why are you doing it? Give sure. them just cause to do it. And a lot of times that the, the way that that happens is any conflict is that everyone has these slurs or these yep. names that they call the enemy. Categorize yeah. Them. Which puts them in like the, okay, they are subhuman. Yep. They, they remove totally. the humanity and you, you put the rhetoric all the way to the sides. So you're like, so it, you can justify doing some pretty horrific things. And I think we're almost, you know, we're almost at the point we're where like, how far can we get? Oh, how, yeah. how much further can you get? Because we're, everyone's on the evil side. So now it's like, well, if they're evil, like if they're a fascist, again, like we've said, you can't coexist with no, a fascist. You can't, yeah, you can't be like, oh, well, the Nazis were good. They yeah. they had a view on killing a bunch of Jews, but that's just their personal opinion. <laughs> you, you, you can't coexist like that. It's troubling. Right? So That's yeah. very troubling. When I hear stuff like that, it's very troubling because the next step after you've categorized someone as evil is to eradicate evil, yeah. right? And from my theological perspective, Yon, 
we reject categorizing people as evil. They do evil, but they're created and loved by God. They do evil because we've all fallen short, right? right. We've all we're all sin natured people, but human beings aren't. Um, maybe they're captured by the evil one. Maybe they're used to do and and um, you know they are kind of a tool for evil. I get all that. I get all that. But man, when we start saying here's evil people. How much further before we could say, let's get rid of the evil. Right. Let's yeah. el- let's erase and eliminate the yeah. evil. Yeah, and then we forget that we were the enemies of God. Right. Yep. We we even if they are evil, like we forget we were evil too. And by the way, God's grace has done something for us that evidently these other people are not worthy of receiving any grace. So let's yep. eradicate them. They're the evil ones. We forget that we were also the evil enemies exactly. of God, even if we're classifying people as evil. So, exactly. Yeah. And I think that um, you know, again, um, I recognize that, well, I mean, for the sake of time, um, one of the, and the third thing, um, I wanted to mention too, when our witness is more important than winning, we sift our own hearts, which is essentially what we're saying. We're mm-hmm. sifting our own hearts and we're saying, what are my, my motives not, uh, pure? Am I doing the things that, that I am expecting the other tribe to do? Am I condemning the things that, uh, I ought to be condemning, um, in my own heart, I'm and I'm sifting my own heart for distortions of the truth. I'm sifting my own heart for deflections of the truth. Where, where, and by that I mean something's true and it doesn't help my cause. Right. So I have to deflect it, yeah. or I have to somehow distort it. Right. Right. Now, when we care about our witness more than winning, we recognize that neither side has a monopoly on Jesus's kingdom. Neither side has a monopoly on the truth. Therefore, I'm willing to critique my political tribe mm-hmm. as well as I am, or as firmly, as strongly as I'm as I'm critiquing the other political right. tribe. Can we also say, uh, those of us people who listen, who say, "I'm done with both. I'm just a neutral. I don't care." Even that position is not holding to this purely truthful like some people some people are like well the political i'm outside the political parties and that makes me a little bit holier than thou in terms yeah. of what is important i mean but, I, I at times dip my toe in that water don't you yeah well yeah i i mean but i so i mean that of course like that that's not a but that is a political um I agree it's a political worldview too and i think yeah. sometimes you say they step outside of it i'm not participating in the in the party war there's also a sense of oh well i have because i'm not in either tr- either political party i have some special access to truth and that's not necessarily even the idea that they that person that group of people has a monopoly on truth yeah so i would totally agree yeah yeah and what do we do about that i mean i think we have to stay engaged because both of those political tribes represent moral issues that are meaningful to god mm. for sure or people or identity or or uh, other uh, pretty vital things um but when I'm willing to critique my political tribe, not just the opponent's pol- political tribe, I am I, what I'm expressing is that I care about corruption. I don't just care about the corruption of the other tribe. I care about the corruption of my right. tribe. And what a it's so it's just impossible to shine brightly or to or to in any way advance the the credibility and reputation of Jesus if I don't deal with the corruption in my own tribe. Right. What and aboutism is a massive thing. Exactly, too. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, the well, I, the yeah. idea that corruption is wrong and it, that that means that I expose the corruption in the other tribe in in my opposition, in my political tribe, 
And if I'm a part of this third tribe of Jesus, I'm also willing to say that there are people in Jesus' tribe who are corrupt. Right. And they need to be confronted. And, um, and, and, you know, we really do. As we're sifting our hearts, we're saying, why don't I care about corruption of my own tribe? Right. Why am I only, well, what about the corruption right. of the other right. tribe? Yeah, that may I be somehow, bad, but what about them? Yeah. Like, Wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, does yeah. that justify yeah. the corruption in my own tribe? And I often put think of it this way. But I don't have any control of the other tribe. I don't have any control of the... I have control of my own people, my own right. uh, tribe. Uh, and then thirdly, when we care about our witness more than winning, we accept that all political parties and politicians and human beings are battling sin. We're all battling evil. We're all battling corruption. We're all battling selfishness. Uh, all, we're all battling the idols of power and status and comfort. Mm-hmm. We're not just our opponents, right. right? And that ultimately, I think, helps us understand that there is a third tribe. The third tribe is rallying around and advancing the truth, and it doesn't concern itself too greatly or even much at all if the truth hurts one tribe or another and that I think allows us to have unity around the things that are true and we're not letting our truth be shaped by political analysts from CNN and Fox News and and uh, this particular um, brand or or magazine or commentator analyst we're simply we're we're, um, we're instead saying nope everybody has fallen and everybody is flawed we all need grace and I'm looking for the truth and I'm going to advance that truth support that truth and live that truth no matter who it helps or no matter who it hurts. Yep, there you go. Um, so I think what we're saying is tribalism exists. It's all over. Um, the extent to which... T- we, did we just coin a new term, toxic tribalism? You, know, is that, you just did. Yeah, look at that. The, you know, we, are, we gather around in tribes. We coalesce around things that we believe. Uh, and we sense a, we have a sense of protection and yeah. trust with those people. The question is, what's that? How far do we take that? Do we can we um, can we critique our own side? Can we prioritize truth over our own protection and yeah. our own well, belonging and our own identity? Exactly. And maybe it means that the truth might lead us out of our tribe, but we should trust that God will protect us, right? Because He's advocating the truth right. and protecting people right. who are people of the truth, right? And I think what we are also advocating is that if we all do this, we will, by de facto, have created an, another tribe, tribe, a yeah. tribe in which we are all doing that and encouraging that, and we find protection in that, even saying, yeah. you know, it's okay to... So. And I think that that becomes a really, really bright, contrasting witness who isn't concerned about winning all these political battles or arguments. Yep. Yep. All right. So here we are next. There you go. There's your tribalism. Now we're going to talk about some other tribes we can create. We are in personal preferences and what, like we said, it's the fall. People are going back to school and uh, we thought, well, let's see what was your favorite season of school life? Was it your elementary? Is that how you say it? Or elementary? I think it's elementary. Okay. Elementary. That's how it's spelled, but uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, that's how we grew, I grew up in Canada again, where we speak real English. Um, <laughs> elementary, junior high, high school or college, right? Yeah, I remember vividly the phase of life where my senior year in high school is coming to a close. I mean, I, everybody loves elementary, right? We've got these great r- memories of recess and uh, I think um, just the excitement of being in school and classmates and stuff. But 
middle school, I don't know, very few people I know have many good memories of middle school. I find it like, I don't even sure, I'm not even sure I went to Wait, middle school. What's middle school, six, seven, eight? Was yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. That was yeah. very. That was different in junior high. I had junior basically. high. Oh, okay. Yeah. I had junior high. Yeah. I mean, junior high I think was like seventh and eighth, and yeah. middle might be like now five to seven or something like that. Okay. Um, or five and six, but I do remember vividly, and this is how I'll answer this. So my preference is, I preferred high school, and here's why: my senior year. I actually is it possible to just say I prefer one year of high school because it would only <laughs> be guess. my senior yeah. year. Um. I think that as much as I loved college, I could feel the pressure. I could feel the pressure that I'm paying for this. I could feel the pressure that I have to pass. Wow. I could feel the pressure one that if I... One of the few. One of the few who felt the I pressure know. to pay for it I in know. college. Totally. I could feel the pressure to have a job, to be able to have some spending money and fit that into my schedule. I could also feel the pressure of this degree better add up to be something. And I could even feel the pressure of... How am I going to get all this work done in this few weeks of the semester, right? On the other hand, my senior year, I remember very vividly feeling like the time of fun is coming to an end. In particular, I remember one of my uh, best buddies had already left high school and was starting college. He was an engineering student. And he, he told me he had to bring textbooks home and read them. Yeah. And by this time, my senior year in high school, we didn't need to take any books right. home. Yeah. We weren't reading anything and still excelling in, in school. And I remember that senior year being the year where I'm like, this is literally my last year of childhood. Mm. This is my last year of being able to have fun primarily and responsibility is on its way and it felt crushing to me. So high school. What about that you? That was your best one? Yeah, and your senior year in high school. Yeah, but that you described something that didn't sound very fun. I knew that what was coming up was crushing. Oh, so was that didn't ruin the the senior year. No, that was your best year. No, the the, the impending doom was not Correct. enough to ruin the. No, the impending doom was I could really enjoy this last oh, okay. year of playfulness and gotcha. fun and, right. and lack of response and irresponsibility basically yeah. and laziness didn't didn't hurt me and I knew laziness was going to kill me in college. What about you? Uh yeah I can I can remember you did this doesn't answer the question but I I'll tell you my the things I remember from each era and why I pick which one I pick when I was uh yeah in elementary school the the, the memory that's most vivid is me having a literally getting into a fight with this kid and <laughs> had him in a headlock and he was much bigger than me and he was I had him in a headlock and he picked me up and was slamming oh, me slamming me oh, in the locker so oh. <laughs> I was like I don't think my I think I had a lot I think I had fun and then I also Anyways, you're like, don't you know I'm going to be a Marine? Yeah, exactly. Back off. How dare you? I'm a future war hero. Not really. <laughs> uh, so that's one. Of, and then my junior high, I had, a, I had this memory of I moved right in the middle of seventh grade and I moved to a junior high that was bigger than the town that I lived in. So oh I remember walking. I remember, get, I remember getting the tour from the principal and then he walked me to the class I was going, which was already in session. And there oh, was a there no. was a window all around the side of the door. So I'm standing there and he knocks on the door. And I just remember every kid in the class staring at me in the oh. hallway. As I'm the new kid, and that what was probably the worst year of my life. What the worst. Nightmare. So, and then I went to four. I went to four, four schools from uh, seventh to tenth grade, so, or five schools. Oh, man. So, so that was not pleasant. That and explains then, a lot. Yeah, exactly. I know. Uh, and then my high school years, those were okay. You know, I think they were fun, but I think my college years were more fun. So yeah, college. I don't think I don't remember much. I remember having a good time, meeting some lifelong friends, and learning a lot more maybe on the basketball court than I did in actual class. So I'm going to go with a long answer to get to short. 
responsive college. Yeah. So there you go. I did not feel any of the pressure you described. <laughs> I didn't feel yeah. the pressure of needing to pay for it. I didn't feel the pressure of needing to perform other than my dad wanted to kill me after well, my first semester. You know, you know, it's another example of how I matured much more rapidly than you did. massive generational gap. That's yeah. my millennial list, right? <laughs> Even though I'm on the front end of that. So, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, thank you for being in the Salted Tribe. And uh, help other people be in the Salted Tribe by if you want to like or share and do all those wonderful things that you do with podcasts. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks so much for checking out the Salted Podcast. You can find other episodes and topics on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you click follow so you'll get notifications whenever new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.